Praise the Lord. Thank you, choir. Would you give our musicians and choir a, a hand? And Eric, uh, Eric, Aaron, you weren't the um, uh, first week of camp, is that right? And you weren't last week. And you're working the first three days of this week before we leave and go to the Ford Conference. Um, can, I, can I have a private conversation with you for a moment? Um, you're a preacher. And when you work that much, you make the rest of us look bad. <laughs> and we are, uh, we're leaving. Uh, several of the uh, adults, uh, chaperones, and several kids are leaving on Thursday morning, going to the Forward Youth Conference in Atlanta. So please be in prayer for us. Uh, and also, I neglected to do it a moment ago. I sure appreciate uh, all of our folks that came together and worked yesterday and helped to, to serve the families. Thank you so much for, for doing that. Turning your Bibles to James chapter 5 and verse 11, epistle of James, the Lord's brother, verse 11 of chapter 5. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I want to speak to you today on the endurance of faith. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we need you in this moment. Dear God, you say in your word, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. God, grant us the wisdom of your spirit today and the anointing, the unction of your spirit. Lord, not only on uh, me, not only on the speaker, but on the hearers. Let our faith be stirred and strengthened through your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you love God and his word, give him a hand clap today. Amen. In 1950, at 31 years old, Florence Chadwick broke the women's world record for swimming the English Channel. She did it in record time. Then the next year, she swam the English Channel uh, coming from England to France and became the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. Then in 1953, she thought that she would try her hand at swimming the 26 miles from Catalina Island to the coast of California. And so she got in those frigid waters and started to swim the several hours across that channel from the island to the California coast. There were several small boats that were accompanying her. One of their main jobs was to look out for sharks to protect her, but also they were there to rescue her if she could not go on. Oh, one of those boats was her mother. 
About 15 hours in, a fog rolled in and she could not see the coastline. And she got very exhausted, didn't think that she could go on. And so she said to her, mother's, I, her mother, I don't think I'm going to make it. But she swam on. She kept trying. She endured for another hour. And then she finally said to her mother, I'm through. And they pulled her up out of the water for the safety of the boat. And then she realized that she was within a mile of the shoreline. Later, Florence Chadwick said, if I had known that I was that close to the shore, I think I could have kept on swimming. I think I could have made it if I had only known how close I was. So, four months later, two months later, she tried it again. And the same events happened. The same frigid waters and the same fog rolled in. Again, she could not see the shoreline. But this time, she did not give up because she said she carried with her on that second attempt a mental image of the shore. She couldn't see the shore for the fog, but in her mind, she could see the finish line. What my desire for you today is this, is to help you see through the fog, to help you have a mental image of the finish line, to examine the kind of faith that in spite of the clouds, in spite of the mist, in spite of the fog, the kind of faith that sees the shore. That's the kind of faith that Job had. The King James Version uses the word patience. You have heard of the patience of Job. But that word is really the word endurance. It is a hupomone. It means the ability to stand up under, to persevere, to endure. When we talk about patience, if you read the story of Job, you'll realize that Job did not suffer in silence. He was not simply a stoic. He did a lot of complaining. He did a lot of questioning, but he did not give up. And he did not blaspheme or accuse God falsely. So he was maybe not as long-suffering as we think he was, but he did have endurance. What allowed Job to keep on going? James said, you've heard of the perseverance of Job and you have seen the end of trusting in God. You saw that it landed on its feet. You saw that it all worked out. And you saw that in the end that Job learned, as you have learned, that God is a merciful and loving God. So James was encouraging his readers to be like Job, to have a mental image that it's all gonna be all right. It's all gonna work out. We're going to reach the shore. Now Job had a simple faith. Oh, for the days 
that men and women of God and preachers of the gospel would return to the simplicity of the gospel. We've made this thing a lot more complicated than it needs to be. I was counseling with someone this week and I said to them, you know, life's problems are not as complicated as what we think they are. And the answer, the solution to life's problems are not as complicated as we think they are. I remember hearing a story of how a, a big delivery van had tried to go up under an underpass, a railroad uh, track went over the highway and tried to go up under the underpass and got stuck. And they called in the engineers of the city and some said, well, we're gonna have to cut the top off the van. And the other said, well, there's not enough room to do that. We're gonna have to cut out a notch from the underpass. And somebody said, well, no, that'll, that'll render that structurally unsound. We can't do that. And finally, a little boy went and got a stick and went around the tires and took off the little uh, cap off the tires and took that stick and pressed down that little, uh, that little indication that allowed the air to seep out and lowered the tires enough that they could just back the, the, uh, the truck out. <laughs> the engineers got paid to think big. The little boy thought right. It was common sense. Life is not as complicated. Now understand that something can be simple and still be difficult. Nobody will tell you that life is never difficult. Not truthfully, life can be difficult, but that doesn't mean it's complicated. Job had a simple faith. For Job chapter one, verse 20 through 22. In fact, if you don't know, let me say this. Job was a man that feared God. He was perfect, just in his generations, and out of nowhere, his cattle died, his children died, he suffered a loss financially and personally and even suffered the loss of his own health. He had balls from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. If there's ever been a situation where when it rained, it poured, it was Job. But here's what the Job's response was in verse 20 through 22 of chapter one. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshiped. Is anybody here when you received bad news, devastating news, still able even in that moment to lift your hands to the God that made you and worship the Lord? He worshiped and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Now there are theologians that will say Job got that wrong. The Lord gives, we'll give you that. The Lord gives, and aren't you glad he did? The Lord gave you life. The Lord formed man out of the dust of the earth. The Lord breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life, it's the gift of God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. The Lord gives. He gave you the breath that you breathe. He gave you the strength to get up this morning. He gives you the bread that goes on your table. The Lord gives. And I'm so glad of the promises 
that we have in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm grateful for the promise that tells us that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And we are so grateful for the God that gives. If you show me someone who is not a giver, I'll show you someone who's not a lover. Dad taught me coming up, there's two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers, and he said, son, be a giver. But if you see somebody that doesn't give, the problem is not with their generosity, the problem is with their lack of love. There's a reason when you give to those in need, it's called charity. Charity is not a financial term. Charity is a term that means love, but love is a verb, love gives. So you see somebody that's not a giver, you'll see somebody that's deficient in their giving, it's because they're deficient in their loving. And you can give according to God's word, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That's the nature of love is to give. For God so loved that he gave his very best. I'm glad God loves us and I'm glad that God gives to us. And there are those preachers and theologians that'll say, we'll give Job that, but Job didn't know what he was talking about when he said the Lord takes away. But I'm here to tell you that the Lord not only gives, but the Lord takes. There are things in our life that the Lord takes away. Have you, in raising one of your children, ever bought your child a toy for Christmas? You wanted them to have it? You were glad you enjoyed seeing them enjoying it. Every time that they would play with it, you would get a big kick out of seeing them play with it. It thrilled you that you were able to provide that for them. But then they started acting like a brat. And you said, all right now, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to take that thing away from you. Is there anybody ever bought your kid a phone? <laughs> anybody ever took it away from them? And the Lord gives, but the Lord takes. And we don't always understand why he takes. We don't always understand his way or his wishes or his will. But when we cannot trace his hand, we have to learn to trust his heart. And our faith is not in the way God acts, but in who God is. And you will never be able to reduce God down to your formula and predict that God's always going to behave in the way you think he ought to behave. But you can stand solidly upon the fact that God will never act out of his nature. And because his nature is love, you can say whether he gives or whether he takes, I can trust him. 
God takes. And sometimes he takes things that we want to hold on to. But I'm also glad he takes away some things that I don't need. I'm glad he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. I praise him for all that he's given, but I'm glad for a lot of the stuff that he's taken away. But whether his hand is reaching into my life to place a gift into my life or whether his hand is reaching into my life to take something out of my life, it's the Lord that has given. It's the Lord that has taken. Blessed, blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's accusers had composed all of their religious algorithms. They had put the pen to paper. They had decided what was happening in Job's life. They felt it was their need to instruct Job of just why he was suffering. They had God all figured out. They had Job all figured out. And they were completely wrong. In fact, at the end of the book, the Lord says to them, you have not spoken the truth about me like my servant Job has, and I won't even forgive you for it unless you let Job pray for you. Leave it to other people to think that they've figured out what God's doing. Leave it to others to think they know what's going on in your life. Don't worry about the naysayers. Don't worry about the critics. You keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I might not always understand what's going on, but I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep those things that I've committed unto him against that day. One of the great preachers of a generation ago, E.B. Hill, great black Baptist preacher from California, preached his own wife's funeral. And you know what the title of his message was? Trust me. He said he went and prayed when his wife was in the hospital. And he heard the Lord tell him, baby's going to be all right. And he thought that meant the Lord is going to heal my wife. And he rejoiced that she was going to be healed. And the Holy Spirit said to him, I didn't say I was going to heal her. I said she's going to be all right. And he said, Lord, I need you to come on the scene. And he said, listen, Heal, don't you think you can trust me with your wife? Whether the Lord gives or whether the Lord takes, it's as simple as this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, when I was a child, there were some inconsistencies and unfairness from my vantage point that mom and dad acted out of. I can't tell you the spankings I got that were Barry's fault. And I'd tell the Lord on daddy, Everywhere I go, people brag on you to me. They'd say, oh, I love you, Daddy. 
usually I choke back saying, if you only knew. <laughs> I get sick of hearing it, to be honest with you. I'm like, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Just save it. <laughs> but the man you are today is all those prayers I prayed for you because you spanked me like you did. There were some things from my limited vantage point that I didn't understand. But let me tell you what I did understand. I understand that my mama and my daddy loved me and they were acting in my best interest. And that I could not only receive from their hands the gifts and the bounty and the provision, but I also had to trust them to know when to discipline and move. And those hands, Daddy never spanked me that he didn't later take me in his lap and those strong hands would comfort me. And I'm going to tell you, the Holy Ghost has never whipped me that he didn't immediately take me up in his arms and comfort me. And I want you to know that from our limited vantage point, we don't always understand the ways of God. But when we know the heart of God, we can say whether he gives or whether he takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. He had a simple faith. Don't complicate it. Trust the Lord. Don't complicate it. Jesus said to his disciples simply this, Matthew or Mark eleven twenty two. He simply said this to them: Have faith in God. Don't have faith in faith. Don't have faith in all of the all of the carefully organized schemes that you come up with. Just trust Him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had a simple faith. And then he had a stubborn faith. If stubbornness is a spiritual gift, God was very generous when he created the peas. There's a stubborn faith. Job 29, or Job 2, 9 and 10. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. When his accusers, his so-called friends came to him, Job said to him in chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He had a stubborn faith that said, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give up. I had a fellow tell me one time, every time you saw him, he was talking about the Lord. He was talking about his faith. He was sharing with you some deep revelation that he had. And I saw him one day, and I was talking to him about the Lord. And he said, well, I'm not talking to God right now. I'm, I'm mad at him right now. He didn't do what he said he would do. You know, there was one of God's prophets called Jeremiah got that way one time. He said, I ain't going to talk about you no more. You didn't live up to my expectation. But then he said this, when I would be silent, his word was a fire shut up in my bones that I could not be silent and could not be still. Job had a stubborn faith. He said, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to curse it. I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to die. 
And even though he slay me, I'll still trust him. James talks about patience in chapter 5 in two respects. He does talk about patience in the sense of long-suffering and patience in the sense of endurance. Those two definitions of patience, long-suffering and endurance, are the twin children of trust. When you trust God, you learn to suffer long with life. When you trust God, you learn to endure adversities. Speaking of long-suffering, James said in chapter 5, verse 7 through 11, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And then he said, indeed, we count them that them blessed that endure. He talks about long-suffering and endurance. Scripture tells us when the vision tarries, wait for it. Ever seen anybody say that? They say, wait for it. Wait for it. And I'm going to tell you, there's some things in life you've got to wait for it. Don't give up. Don't stop swimming. Don't quit one mile from the shore. Keep a middle image of the end that the Lord intended, right? Run on, as the spiritual says, run on and see what the end's gonna be. Wait for it and endure. Those are the twin children of trust. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. This is from the contemporary English version. My friends, be glad even if you have a lot of trouble. You know that you learn to endure by having your faith tested. But you must learn to endure everything so that you'll be completely mature, not lacking anything. 2 Timothy 2, 3, Paul said, You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. James 1, 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Matthew 24, 13, but he who endures to the end, the same will be saved. I told you endurance in the scripture is the word hupomone or hupomeno. And it means the ability to stand up under. There's a similar word that's used in Hebrews 11.1. One. It's translated as substance. Now faith is the substance. That's the word hypostasis. Hypomeno means the ability to stand up under something. Hypostasis means that foundation that stands up under you. 
Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That word hypostasis three times in the King James is translated confident or confidence. And it's often paired with the word boasting. You brag about the Lord because you're confident. Now, here's an example. Those walls, as you've heard me say before, those walls support that roof. In fact, you're exhibiting faith now by sitting up under this roof. Those walls support that roof, but how many knows if there were a crack or an insufficiency in the foundation of this building, those walls would not be strong enough to stand under the weight of that roof. Those walls serve as a conduit that transfers the strength of that foundation to the weight of that roof. And it transfers the weight of that roof to the strength of that foundation. And I don't care how spiritual you are, I don't care how wise you are, how strong you are, if you try to bear the weight of the problems of this world, you'll crumble like a house made out of cards. But if you have the substance, the foundation of faith in Almighty God, you can stand up under the load because there's someone that's standing up under you and his name is the rock of the ages. If you believe that, give him a hand clap of praise. At Job 19.25, listen to what Job was able to endure. Why? Because Job 19.25 through 27, he says this, I don't know what he's doing, but I know this, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand in the last day on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God and I'll see him for myself and my eyes shall behold him and not another and how that makes my heart yearn and burn within me. He said I can make it because I've got a vision of the shoreline. I've got a stubborn faith because I know what the intended end is. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you, some translations say, a hope and a future. I like the King James, to give you an expected end. I don't know where he's going, but he knows where he's going. And I can trust him. I love the way the Darby translation translates Hebrews 11:1. 1. Now faith is the substantiation Faith is the substantiating of things hopeful. And so not only did Job have a simple faith and a, sub, a stubborn faith, but he had a substantiated faith. He saw the end that the Lord intended. Here's what happened to Job. First of all, in his relationship with the Lord, Job 42.5, he said, I had heard about you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. 
Contemporary English version says it this way. I had heard about you from others. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. Tommy Barnett was one of the most successful pastors in the United States. He grew his church because his dad had been a successful pastor and his dad taught him how. He said, son, growing a church is easy. Just find a need that's not being met and meet that need. He ran buses all over the city and every Sunday night he'd call his dad and he'd brag about what the Lord was doing and he'd get advice from his dad. And then his dad passed away. And he went and preached his dad's funeral and on the way back home on the airplane, it struck him. Who am I going to talk to about ministry? Who am I going to get advice from? Who am I going to share my concerns with? And the Lord spoke to him and said, Tommy, you can talk to me. And if you'll let me, I'll help you grow your church. And Tommy said in that moment, he realized that the God he served was not just daddy's God. He was his God. And having a faith that endures is that thing. It is that mechanism that causes God to become your God and not just what you've heard other people say about him, but seeing him for yourself. But not only did the Lord meet his spiritual need, I'm going to read this to you. I know time is short, but I want just you to, to listen to it, what God did for his material needs. Job 42, 10 through 17. The Lord restored restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintance before came to him, ate food with him in his house. They consoled him, comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord brought, brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver, each one a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons, three daughters. He called the name of the first Jemima. The, the, she went on to invent uh, some syrup. The name of the second, Keziah. The name of the third, Karen Hapakik. And in all the land there were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. After his problems, he lived 140 years. And he saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Can I tell you, there's life after your problems. There's life after your troubles. There's life after your trials. And after the skin worms have eaten your body, there's life eternal in the heavens with Almighty God. In fact, David said this about following his shepherd. He said, he's going to cause goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life. And then the best is yet to come. After that, I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. Tuesday was 204 years ago that the Battle of Waterloo decided the fate of not only France, but also England and perhaps all of Europe. Napoleon had escaped from Elba. His forces had rallied around him. And the English had sent Wellington, the Duke of Wellington, had sent their forces to meet Napoleon at a town called Waterloo. There were no, was no television, no internet, no cell phones. So all of England waited to hear the results of the battle. So by signal lights, the battle was relayed across the English Channel. Standing from the spear of Westminster Abbey in London was a lookout that looked out into the English Channel to see if the ship that was out there would blink its lights that Wellington and England had won and calm the fears of the English people. He finally saw in the darkness of the night the lamplight, the lantern flashing, signaling the news. But just in that moment, a dense fog like pea soup rolled in the English Channel. And what he saw was the message, Wellington defeated. And so he sent down word to the people waiting. And if that news began to ripple through the crowd, all hope was lost. Wellington was defeated. The battle, the war is over and we are lost. But then the fog cleared. And he was able to receive the full message. Wellington defeated Napoleon. We have won. On Friday night, with Jesus sealed in a borrowed tomb, the message rippled among the disciples. Jesus defeated. But early on Sunday morning, the fog rolled away. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. And right now, the fog of your problems may allow you to only get a part of the message and you think the life's over and the problems have won and the devil is victorious, but I'm gonna tell you, if you can look with eyes of faith, it'll pierce through the fog and you can say, I know my Redeemer liveth.
Would you stand? Thank you, Lord. There's no further need of invitation. You've heard the word of the Lord. If you're here today and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I'll be waiting up here. You can come and I'll help lead you to the Come and let the Lord lift the fog from all over this building. Come on. Let's seek the Lord together.